Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. This series has been about reorienting us to our basics of our Christian faith, coming back to those fundamentals of the faith that will help us live effective uh, lives. And we talked about the first weekend out how important the Bible is in that process, the Word of God. The Bible says concerning itself, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. One of the greatest things you can do is begin your day or end your day spending some time in God's Word. Allow Him to speak to your heart. The Bible is the only book in the world whose author accompanies every copy. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is your guide. If you read the Word and you say, speak to me, Lord, guide me in your truth, the Holy Spirit will absolutely respond and make that part of Scripture you need relevant to your life. So discipline yourself. Discipline yourself to spending time in this Word. Next, we talked about the basics of serving, how we ought to be serving one another. I mean, it's the idea that this is good theology, it's good psychology. The best thing you can do for you when you're having a bad day is to do something for someone else. You'd be amazed at how therapeutic that is, how good that is, how rewarding it is, and you'll be a blessing to someone else. So when you go through a hard time, just spend a moment, say, God, put somebody on my heart that I could encourage, and you'll be amazed at what a difference that will make in your life. So we said, okay, we study God's word, we're into serving. And then last week we talked about the value of sharing our faith. In Acts 1.8, as Jesus was ascending, he said to us, you are to be my witnesses, my witnesses. As Corey said, we're not attorneys to argue people into faith, we're witnesses. Now, if you're a witness and you're called to the courtroom, your job is to share your experience. What do you see? What did you hear? What do you know? And so you share your personal experience. Well, that's all a witness is. You say to someone, this is what God did for me. And I know God is able to do something for you. May not be the same thing, may not be in the same way, but God cannot fail, he will not fail. A witness is simply as someone said, one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. But we're to be witnesses. And this morning I wanna talk about another basic of our Christian faith, and it's the idea of prayer and sometimes fasting, the power of those disciplines and what it can do in and through our lives. You see, in the first century, when you study that period of time, particularly as it, uh, as it responds to Christianity in the early church, what you will discover is prayer stagnated in the lives of people who were seeking after God. They didn't pray often. They didn't pray hardly at all. Because prayer, according to the religious teachers of the day, had been such a high bar, it had been taught with such a, a high guidelines that people didn't feel that they could, they could do it. They weren't doing it right, and if they didn't do it right, God wouldn't hear them. And so out of a sense of frustration, sometimes just out of a sense of ignorance, people just didn't pray. I mean, the religious leaders of the day, first of all, taught that prayer, before God will hear it, has to have a certain form. So formalism in the first century killed prayer. Here's what I mean by that. They said, well, if God is going to hear you, you have to pray at a certain time of the day. You know, like God keeps office hours, so you gotta pray at a certain time of the day. Uh, And then not only at a certain time of the day, you have to assume a certain posture. 
You have to, you know, you have to assume on the knees, on the, you know, on before God on the ground, uh, 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 and not only a certain posture, but you got to pray in a certain direction. You got to aim that antenna a certain way. You know, you got to go get that thing to the east or get it to the north. You have to pray a certain way at a certain time. And if you don't pray assuming the right posture, you don't pray assuming the right time, you don't pray assuming the right direction, God will not hear you. So formalism took over. And then not only that, they made prayer out to be something repetitious. You have to memorize your prayers. You, you say a prayer. And, and the Bible teaches you don't say prayers, you pray prayers. <laughs> prayers are communication. You don't say communication, you communicate. And so they taught them that before God can hear you, you have to memorize certain prayers. And so they attach certain prayers with pregnancy, a new baby, uh, a new job, a new opportunity. Every significant life event had a certain prayer you were to pray. And you have to pray this prayer exactly as you were taught by your instructors or God's gonna say, talk to the hand. He is not gonna hear your prayer. And so you're going, oh gosh, all right, am I doing this right? Is this the right time of the day? Am I in the right posture? Am I pointing in the right direction? Am I saying the right prayer? And then to complicate matters and more, the rabbis, some of the rabbis taught that were certain prayers, listen, certain prayers, are you ready for this? Had 63 adjectives in front of the name of God. 63. Wonderful, almighty, and you had to not only get all those adjectives right, you had to get them in the right order. I mean, are you, are, are you tracking with me how frustrating this could be? So can you get the right prayer, pray at the right time of the day, the right posture, the right direction, put the right adjectives in front of you, know, put all that in order, and if you don't do it, God is not going to hear your prayer. And so prayer became something that the average person just said, I can't do. And if I do it, he's not gonna hear me because I'm not doing it right. I'm, I'm not approaching this the right way. So you have Jesus coming on the scene. And Jesus is now recognizing the fact that his people aren't talking to his father. So he says, look, we gotta fix this. You, you need to pray, there's power in prayer. You have the presence of God in prayer. You find peace in prayer. You get provision in prayer. You need to pray. And so he simplified it. Don't you love it when Jesus puts the cookies on the bottom shelf so we can all reach them? I mean, he just breaks it right down. And so he just simplifies prayer. He said, look, when you pray, talk to God with the familiarity that you would speak to your father. Now, I don't have any dads are in the room or watching me online right now. I don't have any grandfathers we have, but here's what I know after raising some kids and having grandkids now. My kids and grandkids have no trouble coming to me for anything. Are, are, anybody like that? I think in most normal situations, they have no apprehension about approaching you about anything. They don't worry, is it the right time? Am I assuming the right posture? Am I, am I using the right verbiage? I mean, they come with a very good, in fact, when our kids were growing up, most of the time, if they needed some money, they didn't even approach me if they could find my wallet. How many of you guys have been out somewhere thinking you had a 20 in there and you open that puppy up and it is empty and you realize that little booger back home, one of them took a brother's money, right? They didn't even ask you, they just took it because the thing is, that's my dad. And what is mine or what's thine is mine. <laughs> and what belongs to him, I'll take it. You, you know, let me tell you what the kids, your kids and my kids have never done. 
They've never approached you with the right adjectives in the right order. They never said, oh, thou strong and mighty father, thou who inhabits the cab of thy pickup, thou provider for our family and thou protector of our home, would thou bestow upon me some bounty from thy billfold? <laughs> Understand when I pray, I pray in the King James or Shakespeare for those of you who are what in church, right? And so the point is that they, they, I'm just saying, they don't do that. Why? Because there's a relation. We would think, what is, what, who have you killed and where are they buried if they come to you like that? You'd say, what in the world has gone on? Why? Because we have a relationship. And in the relationship, there's familiarity. In the relationship, there's not fear. They just say, I got a need, he's got supply. Okay, I'm gonna get that. And so most of the time, unless it's something that will harm them, uh, we'll, we'll say, okay, all right. What's my point? Jesus said, that's it. When you approach your father, go to him, call him Abba, call him dad. Approach him without fear, but with familiarity. Approach him with respect, yes, but not with cringing dread. I mean, you, you don't fear him in that way. You just have a, a freedom to go before him and you, you have an openness. Every dad in the room, like every mom in the room, want our kids to have freedom to come with us with not just their needs, but with their concerns and with their fears. You wanna have that open communication. Well, if we love our kids, how much more does our heavenly father love us? Remember on one occasion, Jesus said, which one of your dads, if your, if your kid was hungry and asked a fish, would you, would you give him a stone, you know? Or ask bread of you, would you give him a stone? I mean, that's a lot of humor in the Bible. Can you imagine? I'm hungry, Dad. We'll chew on some rocks. That's, what, that's a Jesus story. But the point is, he's saying, if, if you love your children that much, the point Jesus was making with that little illustration, he said, how much more does your heavenly Father love you? So basically, what he was saying is Pray. Pray is just opening up and talking to God. In fact, when Jesus taught the principles of prayer that we're gonna look at this morning, he said, look, just avoid three things. When you pray, just avoid, I'm gonna simplify, avoid three things. They're all in Matthew 6, and we'll get to that in a minute. He said, avoid this. He said, first of all, avoid hypocrisy. Don't be hypocritical. Don't come into the presence of God trying to spin him, trying to be dishonest. Just, just be yourself. Be yourself. By the way, that's how you came to Jesus originally, you remember? You came with him with all your problems. You came broken, you came hurt, you came angry, you came confused, you came doubting. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's how you come. Remember the great hymn writer that said, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. You know how you come to Jesus, just like you are. Just like you are. How do you continue to come to him? Just like you are. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't do like the hypocrites do. Don't do come before me trying to be seen of other people. You're not talking to them, you're talking to me. And so you come without hypocrisy. That's why I would tell you guys this morning, if you're angry, pray some angry prayers. You're not gonna, you're not gonna make God mad like he doesn't know anyway. Fire off an angry prayer. Are you disappointed? Pray a disappointed prayer. Are you hurt? Pray a hurt prayer. Are you confused? Pray that confused prayer. You don't even know sometimes how to put what you're needing in words. Remember what he said? Even when I can't put into words the confusion of my heart, you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit says, this is what he's trying to say. Can't put it in words. 
Holy Spirit interprets as that language within my heart that I can't even utter or verbalize. He said, this is what she's trying to say. She, she, can't, she can't really put it in words. But this, and the Holy Spirit intercedes to the Father and said, this is what he's trying to say. This is what she's trying to say. I'm saying, pray. Just get it out of you. You'll be amazed at the difference it makes when you, when you just you release that to the, your heavenly Father. I've told you, we've got psychologists in our church, and many of them have told me on different occasions when we're talking about different topics. They said, usually, if you can get someone to talk about what they think about, most of them won't believe what they just heard themselves say. As long as you keep that bottled up, it takes on a life of its own. You know what happens when you pray? You get it out of you, and you press it up toward heaven, and he can handle it. He can handle it when it's not real clear. He can handle it when it's very confused. So, so pray, don't, don't be a hypocrite, Jesus is saying. I already know, just, just be honest with me. So don't be a hypocrite. Here's the second thing he said, don't, avoid this, avoid pride. Avoid pride. God doesn't want anybody strutting in his presence. Don't walk into the presence of God more or less saying, boy, you got a good deal when you got me. <laughs> Enough about me, now you talk about me, right? Narcissism. Narcissus was the Greek mythological figure that fell in love with his reflection in the pool. <laughs> he said, man, don't walk into my presence. Don't strut into my presence like, like you're some special gift from above. Be humble. The word humility comes from humus. It's the idea of dirt. It's the idea of recognizing, God, you've created me from nothing, and I'm only here, and I only exist because of you. You realize our life is given to us today because God allows it. God doesn't take life. He just stops giving life. The Bible says, in whom we live, in him rather, we live and we have our being. In him we live and we have our being. He doesn't take life, he just quits giving it one day. So you recognize, wow, God is the giver of life, he's sustainer of life. He provides all that I have and all that I am, I have because of him. It brings humility, so when I come into his presence, I come with familiarity, but I come with, I come with respect. Remember, that's why there's no way we can do anything to earn heaven. Remember what he said in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, not, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. And then remember this line, lest anyone should boast. There's no boasting in his presence. So he said, uh, don't be, repet uh, uh, don't be uh, repetitious, don't be uh, hypocritical. He said, instead, come into my presence open, come into my presence with honesty. What was that, hypocrisy? Oh, uh, repetition. I, I stepped on that a minute ago. I don't think I fleshed that out. Repetition. Don't, don't, don't pray the same prayer the same way every day. Now, I know when you're teaching kids how to pray, that's a good habit. But after you've been saved for, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, you need to kind of venture out and get your own material. <laughs> like I said, you, you don't say prayers. You do that when you memorize them. You pray prayers. Prayers. Think about it this way. If you talk to the person you love the same way and said the same things to them every day the same way, before long they would wonder about not only your sanity but your, your authenticity. You can talk to them about the same thing, but you probably talk to them about it different ways. That's all he's saying. He's saying keep it fresh. When you don't, don't, be repeti don't use vain repetition is how it is said in some translations. Empty, just empty words, right? Keep it fresh. And Jesus said, look, that's, that's all you need to avoid. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 18, verse one, he said, we ought to pray. And then he says, and not faint. One of the best things you can do to keep yourself from quitting is to keep your prayer life fresh. 
God, help me to be encouraged today. Help me encourage someone today. Help me to live according to your purpose today. And all of that, guys, you find in prayer. Let me give this to you. We'll read our text. The apostles had seen Jesus do all kinds of things. They saw him give sight to blinded eyes. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him cause lame people to walk again. They saw Jesus put homes together. They saw Jesus work out uh, conflict resolutions that people had. They saw him uh, close deals, you might say. He, he knew how to win people over. I mean, these apostles saw Jesus be a master in every area of his life to the point that they said on one occasion, he does all things well. Skill sets, personality, giftings, think on his feet, all of those things. But listen, when you look at Luke 11, verse 1, you know what the thing they desired more of Jesus than anything else? They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do conflict resolution. Keep me how to, teach me how to close these deals. Teach me how to be a good father. Te teach me how to, to do miracles. Now, all those things are amazing, and it'd be incredible to be able to, ability to have all that. That's not what they prayed. You know what they said? Lord, teach us to pray. That was the thing they saw that struck them the most. Jesus, you have a, a communion with your Father. You have a connection with your Father. You have a, a communication with him that is not like anything we've ever seen. How do you, how do, you do that? And they recognized that the power of God, the peace of God, the provision of God, all of that that Jesus possessed was directly connected to his power with his Father. If I have that, I have the rest. And if I've got that connection with God, I have all the rest. I can't do an in run around God's presence and think I'm going to have his provision. I can't ignore his presence and think I'm going to have his peace. So the apostle said, Lord, teach us to pray. And now we get to our text. Look with me in Matthew 6. We often refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. If you've been in church very long, you probably could recite this. But it's not necessarily the Lord's Prayer, listen, as much as the model prayer. He was teaching us how to pray. Remember, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Then he talks about fasting down in verse 16. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They like to disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting truly. I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast... Put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret. He'll reward you. So he talks about the power of prayer and he talks about those occasions when we're so desperate for God to move that it draws us even into fasting. So let me give you four or five key words that I hope will give you greater understanding of this basic of the Christian faith, prayer and fasting. Number one, it involves recognizing providence. Providence. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You recognize the fact that God is above all? God is in all? God is through all? God is a supplier? He's the source of everything that we need? 
So when you come into his presence in prayer, the first thing you do is you recognize the fact you can do anything. We talked about him being a way maker, a miracle worker. He's a problem solver. You've never brought anything to God and had him respond to you by saying, woo, I'm gonna have to get back to you on that. Now, he may not just respond immediately. There may not be some cacophony of angels going, here's the answer, you know. There may not be some rocket ship out of heaven, drop it on your point. He may respond that way. You may not get that. In fact, did you catch one of the lines from another uh, uh, song we did this morning, another worship song? Even when I can't see him, he's working. Even when I can't feel him, he's working. When I can't sense him physically and I don't feel him emotionally, that doesn't mean he's not working. Look, when you can see God at work in your life, you know he's working. But I'm telling you, when you can't see God in your life, you know he's still working. When you can sense God is working in your life, he's working. And when you can't sense God in your life, he's working. When you know what he's up to, he is up to something. And when you don't know what he's up to, he's still up to something. It's no accident you're in this room. No accident you're here today. God has brought you here for a reason. There's something he wanted you to hear. There's a word for somebody in this room or watching online. And I'm suggesting to your heart this morning, when you approach God in prayer, recognize he is sovereign. He works in providence. Providence is a word that belongs to God, not us. I'm not providence, you're not providence. We don't work in providence. We live life a day at a time, a frame at a time, a moment at a time. God's providential, what does that mean? Break the word apart, providence, pro-video, pro-video. It means the ability to see ahead. I don't have that ability. But God is the alpha and the omega. He's the A and the Z. He's the engine and the caboose and all the little cars in between. God is at work in every moment of our life, good times and bad times, happy times and sad times. God is always at work. And when you pray and you approach him, you approach him with that knowledge. God, you're above all. You're in all. You're through all. Listen, prayer is not making God aware. When you read Matthew 6, the Bible says, verse 8, he has knowledge of what we need before we ask him. You're not catching God up to speed. When you pray, you're not saying to him, God, it's been a while. Let me catch up. Just hope to get some coffee and have a seat. It's going to take me a little while to catch you up. God's been tracking you. He's up. He's up. He's sovereign. Prayer is not making him aware. Listen, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. I just got to push through. I got to pray harder. I got to insist. Prayer is not, look, prayer isn't overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. You see, what you learn when you pray is God not only shows his love for you by what he gives you, sometimes he shows his love for you by what he withholds from you. For example, remember we said it's like a parent and a child? It, it, when we leave in a few minutes and you pick up, you have kids over at Met Kids, and I always tell people when you line up over there, they're going to give you a kid, so you need to know that. So, so yeah, just so you know. <laughs> that little sticker means you'll get the right one. But my point is, uh, when you pick those kids up and they get in the car, and one of them wants to drive home, you're probably not going to let that happen. Okay, honey, you can almost see over the steering wheel. What's the worst thing that could happen? No. Here's what you're, here's what you're doing as a good parent. You're not telling your child no. You're telling your child not yet. Right? You're not mature enough. You haven't grown enough. You don't know enough. There'll come a time, there'll be a time when 
this will happen for you. Can I tell you a lot of times when we don't hear from God immediately, he's saying the same thing to us. I'm not withholding this from you forever. I'm just saying you're not ready for this. Yeah. How, how many people do we know that were so humble, they're trying to build a business or they're starting out in life and all of a sudden, man, they're pressed into God. Oh God, if this, God, you just turn her heart toward me. If this, oh God, if this relationship, if you would just let this business get off the ground, God, I'll honor you and serve you. Oh God, if this is just, I will, boy, I'll remember you forever. And God just opens the window of heaven and blesses you in a great way. How many times have we seen it? And people tend to drift away from God. They forget the humility that they had back there when they desperately need him. And now that he's answered their prayer in abundance, it's easy to forget God. You don't have to go too far back to 9-11. Remember how packed our buildings were and how people were hungry and, and, and just, just, just absolutely desperate to try to find God in the midst of all that chaos and crazy and hurt and pain. I'm just saying there's a tendency we have to kind of get on a roll. And when we're on a roll, there's a tendency we have to forget to pray to forget to realize he is the substance and the source. So it's not overcoming his reluctance, it's a laying hold of God's willingness. When you read John chapter, or James chapter four, verse two, the Bible says prayer is the way God blesses you. He said, you have not because you ask not. Prayer is a way for God to bless. You, you know, there's nothing wrong with praying big prayers, by the way. There's not a place in the Bible where God ever said, whoa, that's too big. Whoa, chill, downsize. You're asking way too much of me. It's not there. In fact, Psalm 84:11 says, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Another thing under providence, John 16, 24, prayer is the way to be full of joy. Joy. I didn't say happiness, I said joy. Did you know you can have joy when you're unhappy? Happiness is always tied to your circumstance. The old English word from which we get the word circumstance really originally was happenstance. In fact, if you have a King James Bible and you look in Ruth, where the Bible describes Ruth landing on a field that belonged to Boaz, you'll find this old English word. It says this, it was her hap, H-A-P, her hap to land on a field belonging to Boaz. What do you mean? It was her good circumstance. We say when our hap is good, we're happy. We have a good happenstance, it makes sense. That's where the idea came from. It's surface, it's superficial. When your circumstances are good, you're, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about joy. Joy goes beneath the circumstance. Joy is something you can have when you're unhappy. Joy is tied, its first cousin is peace, peace of mind. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 14, let not your heart be troubled. He didn't say let not your life be troubled. You can have a troubled life and an untroubled heart. You can have an unhappy circumstance and have joy. What's it connected to? prayer. You just go before your heavenly father, pray that hurt prayer, pray that confused prayer, pray that angry prayer, but pray that prayer and God will begin to give you joy and he'll fill your heart with that. Prayer is a cure for worry. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but everything through prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. You want to give you a place to start? Pray about what you worry about. I'm talking to some professional worriers in the room, I know. Some of you get worried if you don't have anything to worry about, right? You know, it's going too good right now. I don't know, the other shoe's about to drop. You know, you're, you're a pro, you're good, man. You're a pro warrior. So if you wanna to try to break that cycle, pray about what you worry about. You'll become a prayer warrior. <laughs> pray as often as you think about it. Now, if you can kneel, that's great. 
Sometimes, man, I've just got on my face before God. I've been in circumstances where I'm just desperate for him, and I've done that before, absolutely have. But when you're going down 1709 or you're on I-35, I don't recommend that. <laughs> Lord, I'm feeling some heaviness. I'm gonna peel out and lay across the floorboard. Well, you're about to get to tell Jesus face to face what your burden is. I, I wouldn't recommend that. Lord, I'm just gonna kneel here in the front seat of the car. I, I wouldn't recommend, I, nor would I recommend you closing your eyes. Now it's good when you close your eyes, it helps you maintain focus. I get that, there's nothing spiritual or supernatural about that. God's not looking at you going, okay, he's got the position, remember? He's got the right posture, remember? We talked about how that's not the way you get it done. But the point is, you can't always close your eyes when you pray. Sometimes you're wide open, you're tooling down the road. Did you know, sometimes you can, you can pray uh, in, when you're talking to someone. I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask my opinion about something. And I've literally, while I'm looking at them, I'm praying, God help me to give them the right answer. <sighs> Scary in my line of work. You know what I found? This is really profound. Are you ready for this? People will actually do what I recommend. <laughs> They'll actually take my advice on stuff. Let me tell you, that's scary. Um, when somebody tells, Pastor, I'm gonna actually try that. I go, whoa, wait, what? What are you gonna try first? What did you hear me say? Let's walk through that again. You know why that's important? Because I've told you, I don't believe everything I've ever said. So I wanna be sure they're hearing from God through me, not from me and around God, right? I don't want that burden on me. But when you look at Nehemiah, when God said, go rebuild the walls of, of Jerusalem, you remember he was a cupbearer to the king? And before he could get freedom to, be gone, to, to go do that job, he had to get the king to release him. And being the cupbearer of the king, that means he was his taster. He was his food taster, his wine taster. That means he was one of the most trusted men in the kingdom. Because before the enemy would go after King Artaxerxes, they'd have to go through his taster, his wine taster. So the king trusted him, and he had to love the king, because in some ways that would be a terrible job. You know? So he was paid well. He, he was famous. He's given all that up, money, fame, uh, position, favor of the king to go back and rebuild these walls of that ancient city. And so his fear was, what if I offend the king? He could kill me on the spot. I mean, this could be an insult to him. If he doesn't think I've heard from God, he could kill me right there. So when you read, read Nehemiah 1, right at the end of Nehemiah 1 and connect it to chapter 2, here's what you'll see. You'll see that Nehemiah asked for permission. He tells him, God's told him he asked for permission. And from the time he asked the king for, for permission until the time the king responded, you'll find this little phrase, then I prayed to the Lord. Now think about that. From the time he said, this is what God's called me to do. Are you okay if I do this? And before the king could respond, he's praying. Now he obviously didn't get on the floor, he didn't kneel, he didn't go, you know, here's 63 words. He didn't do any of that. He prayed a quick prayer. He just said, oh God, you know, I don't know what he prayed, but I'm sure it was something like that. Oh boy, God, it's in your hands. That's prayer. You don't always have to, it can be a quick prayer. Remember Simon Peter walking on the water, going to Jesus, he took his eyes off Jesus, he put his eyes on the water, and the Bible said he began to sink. He prayed a three-word prayer, Lord, save me. That's all he had time for, he's going under. Brother couldn't pray any longer. What's my point? Eyes wide open, in the middle of your circumstance, driving, talking, you can pray. There's providence there. Let me give you these last words. I gotta, I gotta go. I got about four minutes here and you people are gonna be ready to go. I tell you, I like to get finished before you. Second word is dependence. 
He said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a dependence on God. Here's what prayer is not. Prayer is not saying, God, I need my will done in heaven. You catch that? Prayer is saying, God, I want your will to be done on earth. If you've been here very long, you've heard me say, and I'll say again, God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. So you can have confidence, you can have dependence on him. Third word is confidence. Thy kingdom come, I'm sorry, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, I'm confident in the fact you're working this out. Things are gonna be okay. Let me give you a great verse. First uh, John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in him that whatever we ask according to his will, he will give it. It's like the child asking of the parent, if it's according to their will, if they think this is something that's gonna bless the child, they'll give it. If he thinks it's gonna help, he'll give it. So it's confidence. Here's the, here's, the, uh, here's the fifth word, avoidance. He talks about now, I read that to you, this idea of fasting. Fasting is neglecting uh, food for a period of time or pleasure for a, fear, a period of time because you feel led, you're in a, series, a season perhaps of desperation where you need God to do something in a special way, in an unusual way, and so the desire for food, it wanes in light of your desire for God's answer. I can give it to you in context of mourning. There are times in my experience of mourning that I haven't had a desire for food. Instead, I've tried to take that instead of allowing the enemy to use that as turning it toward depression or turning it toward desperation. I've tried to take those moments when I feel overwhelmed with mourning and turn that toward worship and turn that toward me pouring my heart in gratitude toward God for all that I had, not all that I've lost. So for some, it might be a meal. For some, it might be a day. For some, it, it might be a longer period. I'm just saying this time of fasting comes when your focus on God and your need for God is greater than need for even food or even the need for pleasure. So that's not something I think anyone can legislate. That's not something that I think any, I think that's a personal thing for a child of God to know when that season is and when that moment is. That's why I would tell you to prayerfully consider when you feel God is leading you to do that. And certainly if you have some medical condition that would, you know, would keep you from doing that, don't, don't do anything that would violate that. In fact, let me give you some parameters for this that might help you avoid, first of all, exhibitionism. If you feel God is leading you into a period of fasting where you're really pressing in and seeking him, maybe for a new job or a relationship or a renewal in your life, whatever that might be, avoid exhibitionism. Remember he said, you don't have to be seen of others. Nobody even has to know. It's between you and God. It's no one else's business. Secondly, avoid legalism. It's not a period of time where you're saying, God, I know when you see me hurt enough or hungry enough, then you'll answer. That's not how this is. Avoid legalism. God is not a sovereign sadist that only responds to the pain of his people. So avoid legalism. Third thing I'd tell you to avoid is avoid ritualism. If you're someone who is accustomed to that and you've done that as a part of your, your, your training or your, your, your Christian faith, avoid ritualism. In Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5, God actually didn't value their time and period of fasting because it became ritualistic and not a time of seeking him. Fourthly, avoid egotism. In Luke chapter 18, there was a man that went to the temple. Remember, he hits himself on his chest. He looks around and says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like all these other people are, especially like this guy. He said, I pay my tithes. And then he said, I fast. I am frequenting the temple. 
So this became part of egotism. It was something that he was doing to make others feel less. And then lastly, avoid extremism. Be careful that this is just a temporary thing that you do because you feel God has led you in this season because you're seeking something specific for your life. And yet it is a part of the Christian faith. And there's going to be days, there'll be moments, there might even be a meal, maybe two. Maybe it's a breakfast or maybe a lunch when you say, you know, I just need to hear from God. So I'm going to spend this time in his word. I'm just going to fast for this meal. I'm going to spend this time. May God lead you in another uh, larger. Let that be from him. I'm just careful when I teach this because I don't want you to think this is something that needs to be legislated or it becomes legalized, you know, legalistic rather. I want it to be something that God leads you in your personal growth and develop with him if he leads you in that way at all. Jesus just said in the prayer, when you pray, he said in, in the prayer, when you give, and then he said in the prayer, remember, when you fast, not if. He's assuming that we will give. He's assuming that we will pray. And he's assuming at some point we will fast. So this is part of the basics of our Christian faith. So I hope, guys, I've challenged your thinking. I hope you'll put some of this into practice this week. And I really hope, man, whatever you're desiring to see from God or experience from God, I hope soon he'll just open the windows of heaven into your life and pour you out a blessing. There won't be room to receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity I've had to teach your word. I pray, Father, that we will be hearer, not just hearers, but doers of the word. I, I pray, Father, that we'll be reminded that in Isaiah you said your word never returns empty. It always hits a mark. It always finds purpose. It always has a point. So help us, Lord, to take from this a clear word from you and to put it into practice this week. Help us not just to get to play, but help us to break out of this holy huddle now and go execute. Watch over all of us who are here. Bless everyone watching online. Keep everybody safe through this Labor Day holiday and give us a great productive week. Thank you, Father, for the joy of knowing Jesus. And lastly, Lord, I pray for any of my friends who may never have trusted you as Savior, that this might be that moment where they turn their heart toward you and they say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart now, forgive my sin. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.